This week's Game of Thrones rewatch is sponsored by our friends over at True Car. Because if you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with the term like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for. But what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. That's why there's True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car that you want, including the fees and the accessories, before you even get to the dealership. What? Yes, a true car dealer will show you the true price on a car like the one that you want all from the comfort of your home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because true car will show you what other people paid for the same car that you want. And your certified dealer knows this. So they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out true car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Winter was here, but we're just getting started here talking about Game of Thrones Season 5, Episode 9, The Dance of Dragons here on the Game of Thrones Rewatch here on Post Show Recaps. And now here are the two guys who should probably not be dancing with dragons. I am Rob Sister here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Are you a good dancer? I'm sorry to imply that you're not. No, no. Uh, I appreciate I appreciate you even feeling like you needed to, to reassess the question. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not a great dancer. I mm-hmm. There was a moment in time where, like, my my default was, like, I'm a bad dancer. I should not dance with, with humans, let alone dragons. And I went through this, like, quick burst of time where I'm like, I'm actually not bad. Like, I could do it on the dance floor. Like, I feel like I've got some confidence. Emily seems to be enjoying the dancing that I'm putting out there, only to learn uh, within, like, the last six months that, no, I'm very stiff. And that was all just, like, a, a, hey. a show a show for me to feel uh, confident in myself. But I, I actually, ha- I, I'm known to be... Be a bad dancer. No, so. I find the whole thing uh, extremely humiliating. I find that any public setting where there is music played, it, it just feels like that it is uh, everybody's in on it to try to, you know, mock me. You could have stopped at any public setting and I would be <laughs> on board. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, the Dance of Dragons. Interesting, Josh. Uh, in my mind that this episode is called the a dance with dragons of course uh that is going to be a title of a book right that is the title of the fifth book in george rr R. martin's a song of ice and fire series and it is supposed to be the the fifth of seven books uh it was released in 2011 shortly after the first season finale a couple of months later i think or maybe a month later and of course there has been no book since then so as it stands a dance with dragons is the most recently released Book in the Ice and Fire series, not counting all of like the encyclopedias and anthologies and all the other stuff. Coffee that table Uncle George, books, right. exactly. Yeah. And it's a great coffee table book. Don't get me wrong, but finish the books. My God, yeah. this all is right. getting so, ridiculous. A lot of stuff to talk to here in the uh, second to last episode here of season five of Game of Thrones, and uh, we appreciate your patience here. If you guys are uh, listening to this in uh, the real time, we're a couple days uh, behind the schedule here, but uh, excited to be back talking about Game of Thrones with you, uh, Josh Wiggler, here as we discuss. Uh, boy, tough times for Stannis and his camp. Desperate times, calling for some very desperate measures uh, for Team Stannis. 
Yes, uh, tough times indeed. Uh, difficult times at the wall as well as all the wildlings are passing through and some people seem happier about it than others. Uh, and difficult times for us as we have to once again weather scenes in Dorn. <laughs> yeah. Some extremely uh, forgettable uh, situations going on in Dorne as we talk through uh, a lot of internal politics in Dorne and then some very memorable stuff uh, going on uh, with Danny and Drogon as uh, we see the culmination of the fighting pit storyline here in Marine. So uh, let, let's let uh, go up to talk about Stannis and his troops and we see uh, a fire breakout for the first time in the episode. Yes, uh, there's there's the first of a couple of fires here in Stannis's camp. That uh, is how we kick off this episode. And of course, this is a follow through on Ramsey's plan as he talked to his father and said, just give me a couple guys. Let me let me bring in my guys. He calls in his guys and he uh, he's going to he's going to have some plan to infiltrate Stannis's camp end this war before it even starts. He's not quite capable of doing that, but he still manages to really mess up the Baratheons. They burn all the food stores to the ground. Uh, A lot of the weapons have been destroyed. It's really looking bleak for Stannis and company at this point. Yeah, and he gets some counsel from Davos, and they're talking about how, you know, things are are looking pretty grim uh right now and so davos is saying look we 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 can't keep going forward uh here that we uh we we can't make it uh and stannis is saying that we're not going to retreat stannis also uh has uh some punishment in mind he says that either the men who were supposed to be watching for something like this either they fell asleep or they conspired with the enemy, find out what happened, and then hang them either way. You know, it could be worse. They could be burned alive. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's still not great, but at least they're not being burned at the stake publicly. So yeah. maybe maybe these uh, sleeping guards should count their blessings. Okay. All right. We'll come back to uh, Stannis and Davos uh, in a bit. Meanwhile, uh, Jon Snow, after the disaster at Hardhome, is uh, walking back to Castle Black uh, with, uh, you know, he did bring back some of the wildlings, but uh, would this have been better or worse for Jon Snow if he came back with more wildlings? So this what? is sort of weird. Uh, you know, it's like it's bad. A lot of wildlings right. died, but uh, he still came back with too many for Alistair Thorne. Yeah, but I think at a certain point, if you commit to the idea that I'm going to make truce with the wildlings and bring them back so that they don't die on that side of the wall and come back as crazy ice monsters, uh, I think at that point, you really do want to come back with as many wildlings as possible. Is it a full on failure? Is it a complete and utter failure? No, that's a, a, a it looked like a significant crowd of people that Jon Snow is leading outside of the wall. That's a, a solid amount of wildlings. Um, but like. Five times that number probably killed at Hardhome. So that's really bad. Uh, the whole thing is just very tense. Uh, yeah. we, kn- we know, of course, Alistair Thorne is going to stab Jon Snow in his very good heart in just, uh, just an episode from now. Um, but really, Thorne, in his own way, is complicit in the mutiny no, or complicit in the wildlings coming through, right? He gives the order to, to lift the gate, so... Why don't you save a stab to the chest for yourself, guy? Okay, so a couple things to talk through. So when Thorne says open the gate, is the plot already hatched that, okay, well, we need to kill Jon Snow. So, all right, let him in so we can kill him. 
I don't know, because I feel like at this point, if that was the plan, like maybe he's just like, yeah, uh, let's let's just uh, kill all of the wildlings and Jon Snow who are north of the wall. I'm in charge of Castle Black now. He's not coming back. Like, don't you think like it would just be as easy as that? Couldn't that just be his move? So you feel like that they could have just uh, not opened the gate? It's almost Let him as, die out there. Yeah. And it's almost as if like now that he like sees all the wildlings passing through that, like he's like. He's like swallowed crap for the last time. Like he just he can't do it anymore. Uh, He's seeing them roll through Castle Black. And it's like that sight of these people is what inspires him to fully launch the mutiny plan. That would be my guess in terms of the timeline. It's interesting. I mean, we'll keep an eye on it in next week's episode as well to see if there's a point where the straw broke the camel's back. But Jon Snow is talking to Sam and he says uh, the mission was a failure. But I mean, it looks like there's enough wildlings that are have been brought back to get Jon Snow killed. So I don't know necessarily if if he brought back all the wildlings, would it have been better or worse? Would it have been where it's like, oh, boy, uh, Jon Snow, like uh, he's brought back, uh, you know, uh, 8000 wildlings. Uh, he is the man. I mean, he still brought back a lot of wild things. I think he, I think he would have been a, I think he would have been aggrieved either way. I don't think that he was going to be a fan of this, no matter how it played out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Not, not, not thrilled. A thorn in his side, as it were. <laughs> it was a uh, no win situation. A real uh, Kobayashi Maru for. Oh, uh, I love the Kobayashi Snow. Maru. Uh, yeah. Put it, put it in Captain Kirk's hands. Yes. Uh, Lots of crows uh, giving Jon Snow the stink eye in this episode. <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, and even he himself at a certain point looks like he's pretty bummed out about what's going on. Uh, He's like, ah, man, this does the optics on this really are not great. Yeah. Uh, Like Alistair Thorne comes up to John at one point and he's like, ah, you got a good heart, Jon Snow. It's going to get us all killed. And Jon Snow, it's like almost I know it's almost like Jon Snow at that point is like, yeah, you're right. Uh, It's too late. He's committed. Like, oh, Jon Snow's like, I didn't know that. I mean, maybe I would have done things differently if I would have known I was going to get us all killed. But the good thing for Jon Snow is that he will come back from the dead. Uh, Alistair Thorne will not. That's a, I mean, that's a very good heart. Like, (laughs) for for him to, like, to be dead for, like, a full half day at least. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, like a strong 12-hour stretch, probably a little more. Yeah. Uh, And that good heart keeps ticking again once Melisandre gets a hold of him. That's a great heart. Yes. I think Goodheart is underselling it. And Thorne's prophecy of Jon Snow's heart getting them all killed. Uh, better than any prophecy that Melisandre has in this episode. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the prophecy that Melisandre has is uh, rather bad in comparison. Not good. Okay. Uh, let's go back to Stannis and Davos. And uh, so they've got Davos dispatched to Stannis's tent. He says, Davos, I need you to go on an errand for me. Uh, go to Castle Black. Give Jon Snow this message. Tell him that uh, bring all of the Night's Watch here. We need we need them. We need their food. We need fresh horses. So uh, can you be a good lad and go take this message to Jon Snow for me? Yeah. And I was like, wait, what? Can't you just like have like some boy bring this note over? No, No, it's got to be you. Uh, Well, then can I take uh, the Lady Solis and Shireen along for the ride? Because this doesn't seem like the right place for them. No, no, they need to stay with me. What about Shireen? Shireen, family. Nope, nope, I need need everybody here. Just you, you go. You got to imagine at this point that Davos senses something fishy in the air. Something reeks 
uh, and it's uh, it's not spoiled onions. There's uh, there's there is something amiss here. Yeah, but he's not able to really protest it too much. So does Davos think that there could be something so sinister going on here, or does he just feel like that things are getting really ugly for Stannis's forces? And so let me at least get uh, my friend Shireen out of here before things uh, really take a turn. I think that's a piece of it. I, I wonder how much he is he is suspecting that she's going to be sacrificed for King's blood uh, the way that others have been in the past. Davos has certainly seen Stannis in uh, in fanatical states in the past. Um, but this would really be uh, this would be a bridge too far, even for Stannis. I can't imagine that Davos just like baseline is imagining that that is something that Stannis would be willing to do. Right. But I do think the food supply is so low. Uh, marching forward to Winterfell seems like suicide and returning to Castle Black is even treacherous enough on its own. Um, so I think in in receiving this order from Stannis and knowing that he has to make the move back to Castle Black, Davos knows no matter what's about to happen, that this looks very, very bad for for Shireen, who is somebody that he has come to care about quite a bit, considering she has taught him how to read and mm-hmm. uh, has just been like a, a really close confidant and somebody who's been like a rare source of positivity in these very bleak times. So I think he's he's worried. He's worried for the for the young girl with great reason as we come. To right. But I will go out on a limb and I will say that if Davos thought there was a possibility that she was going to be sacrificed, he would have just put her on the horse with him and then just got her the hell out of there in the same way that he put Gendry on that boat and didn't worry what Stannis was going to do to him. He would have done the same thing with Shireen if he thought that this was an actual possibility. So I I think he feels like that there's something ominous going on, but I I don't think that he is, you know, uh, two steps ahead where he knows what is coming for Shireen. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And we see him have a moment with Shireen. This is ultimately going to be his goodbye with Shireen. She's reading the Dance of Dragons and he has, what is he, a, a, a woodworker? Because I think that's that's pretty impressive that he is able to uh, whittle a stag for Shireen. Yeah, and minus some fingertips, you right. know, this is this is tip free work that he's uh, that he's doing here. Almost impossible. The, you think he probably had to have, you know, uh, bought this at some no, sort of. No, no, no. I mean, I think that Davos on his many treks, many treks across the narrow sea and wherever the heck he's been as the Onion Knight. I feel like woodworking. He feels like a, a, a wood whittling type of guy. He's just got that kind of like hardness about him. Okay, maybe during a siege, maybe yeah. that's the kind of thing you learn to do. All right, uh, let's check out what's going on with uh, Jamie in Dorne. And uh, again, this stuff in Dorne is just re- it's a it's a lot of Alarisand and Doran and and Doran trying to say to Alarisand about how look look we're gonna forgive the Lannisters. She's like, no, I don't want to. And Doran is saying, you better. You better listen to me. I'll give you a second chance, but you're not going to get a third chance with me, sister. Right. Yeah. He's he's very into second chance. Uh, Loves that season. Not really high on the idea of third chance. Does not like I actually I would like third chance. I think that would be good. I think that would be good for you. Yeah, I think that'd be great for for you. I'll take care of the podcast. You'll be fine. I won't burn it to the ground like (laughs) Shereen Baratheon. 
Thank you. Okay. I got you. So we have here, we have uh, Princess Marcella. We have uh, Prince Tristain. We have Jamie Lannister. And we have uh, Lara Sand and Prince Doran. And they're talking about how, what, what are they going to do with Jamie Lannister? Yeah, you left out the fact that we also have um, Alaria Sands' cup of wine for like five seconds before she pours it all over the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like there's this moment where Doran's like, "Let's drink to King Tommen," and everyone takes a sip, and Alaria just dumps out that Dornish red, and that's supposed to be good wine. So yes, yes, it's it, it real, is good wine. Real slap in the face of the boy King Tommen. Yeah. Because there is some question about what are they going to do with Jamie Lannister. And so ultimately is decided that, um, okay, Marcella and Tristane, they need to be together. And so Doran is going to send Marcella back to King's Landing at Tommen's request. But Tristane is going to go along for the ride. And he is going to take the uh, the seat that was on the uh, small council for the Red Viper. So now Tristane is going to sit on the small council and okay, this is all good. And we're going to have peace between the Lannisters and the Dornish. And, uh, but uh, Alaria does not want to do that. That's when she dumps her wine out. She says, uh, no way, Jose. Yeah. Uh, and Jose is very surprised that uh, Alaria is speaking to him. He's just a background player. He has not walked into this day thinking that he had any speaking dialogue, that he would be part of the scene. But it's a it's a great win for for Jose that day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Doran Martell, like really like forgives that very quickly. Alaria dumps the wine and the conversation just moves forward. Uh, and everyone's just like, like it didn't happen. Like they just ignore it. They just try to like phase yeah, it out. Of she's existence. just blowing off some steam. Her and the sand snakes, uh, you know, their, their bark is worse than their bite. Yes. And then Hilaria, like she, when, when she finds out that Tristane's going to be sitting on the small council and all of that, and Jamie has given her word, she's really pissed off. She gets up and she looks at Doran and says, no wonder you can't stand. You have no spine. And Doran is not having that. This is like the, the most intense, serious Doran we have seen, frankly, where he says, you're the mother to four of my nieces, girls that I love very much. And for their sake, I hope you live a long life. Talk to me that way again, and you will not. Ooh. Snap. Oh, man. Dr. Bashir laying it (laughs) down, giving her some of that medicine. Yeah, go directly to the brig. Yes, indeed. Not to sickbay you. Okay. Yeah. So then Jamie is asking, like, but what about my man, Braun? What what about him? So then we have a whole thing where Braun, they have to take him out of the jail. And then Braun, the Sand Snakes are saying, who's the most beautiful woman in the world? I want to hear you say it, Braun. Right. Well, we also missed the Sand Snakes are playing a game of slaps. Yeah, I, well, I didn't even. Why? I didn't, Who cares <laughs> what the Sand Snakes are doing in their jail cell? I thought they were I playing didn't... the game of faces. No, they're playing slaps. It's slaps. Have you ever played slaps before? Uh, <laughs> not recently. Slaps is a classic in my childhood. I'm surprised that Slaps exists in in Westeros, let alone in, in Dorne. As far as Dorne, uh, when I played Slaps, you would have like your hands would be on top of somebody else's hands. They would like your palms on somebody else's palms, and the person with the palms on the bottom, it's their job to sneak their hand out from under yours and smack your opposite hand before you can pull your hands away. Uh, and if, uh, I forget the exact rule. I think like if you got like a, a full whiff, 
then you had to put your hands together in the position mm-hmm. that uh, that Tyene's hands are in. And then the person who was able to get away clean smacks those two hands with their two hands. It's a very painful game that I haven't played in a very long time. So I may be getting the rules wrong, um, but it just goes to show how terrible the sand snakes are, that this is their idea of fun because slaps, no one should be playing slaps. Slaps should be taken out and shot and never played again. Although somehow this is still the third most interesting thing that the sand snakes will do in game of Thrones easily. Yeah. Okay, so they take uh, Braun away. Uh, th- that's uh, Tyene and uh, Nymeria uh, playing uh, the uh, slapping game. And Braun tells uh, Tyene she's the most beautiful woman in the world. And then uh, Nymeria calls Tyene a slut for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why she's shaming her fellow Sand Snake here. Not necessary, not necessary. Unnecessary, unnecessary. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's not the final time we will see Tyene and Braun together. That one uh, coming next. We'll take the we'll... cake next week. Indeed. Uh, okay. <laughs> so then we, so we bring Braun back up here. And so, all right, Braun, time to hear about your punishment because it was on one condition that Jamie had to agree to to get you released from the prison. All right, fine. What's that one condition, Josh? You get punched in the face, Elbow. by er, elbowed in the face by Ario Hota, which does not seem fair. Uh, shouldn't it be like eye for an eye and Pr- Prince Tristane gets to punch Braun in the face? Well, I mean, I think that at one point Braun thought that he was either going to be in that Dornish prison forever or he was going to get a death sentence. So kind of feel like he caught off easy with just an elbow to the nose. Yeah. And then uh, it's funny because there's pie on the table and Bron's like, oh, sweet, I'm free. That pie looks really good. And then he gets elbowed in the mouth. How about an elbow to the nose instead, Bron? Yeah. How about a, yeah, an elbow sandwich? Yeah. Doran offers him some soup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are we doing here? Why are we <laughs> elbowing Bron in the face talking about soup? So season five, again, I will say, I think season five is better than I expected it to be. I think it plays faster. I think um, a, a lot of the stories are, are moving in, in, in directions that I had forgotten and are, are told in compelling ways. Everything about Dorn is absolutely as bad as I feared and remembered it to be. I still don't think it is quite blue raspberry mouth levels of bad, but it is right up against it. <laughs> um, it's very, very close. I think mercifully like we don't have to deal with it as much as we had to deal with Karth uh but it's so bad it's so it's just so it it's grating it's annoying all of it is just terrible and it goes nowhere in the end so it's a waste of time yeah it's a waste of time yeah. all right well we'll sum it, everything up in the season five uh finale in the next episode of what was better or worse than uh, we remembered from season five all right let's check in with Arya and she's back out there shilling these oysters and clams and cockles and she is back out on her mission to poison the thin man yeah but it takes a it takes a turn because she's about to go and poison the thin man and the thin man is like come here girl poison me please poison me i want those oysters that are going to be spiked with poison this is the easiest thing in the entire universe for you to do Except for the fact that Arya spots 
an old enemy across the way. Marin Trant escorting Mace Tyrell. They have finally arrived in Bravos to meet with uh, with Tycho, the Iron Banker. Um, and it's it's a total derailment of mm-hmm. everything that Arya has been doing so far. She is fully reminded that she is Arya Stark, and she got a list. <laughs> yeah, and we see a lot of small talk between Tycho, the Iron Banker, and Mace Tyrell. So much small talk. <laughs> And some singing, some music. <laughs> uh, Mace Tyrell it wants to really chew the fat and schmooze uh, Tycho the Iron Banker, and he and he is not having it at all. Yeah, he's like, I want some wine. I want to drink wine with you. And did you know that you are so cool because you've got a big house? You're the best gambler in the world, Iron Banker. And he's like, Oh God. Oh, my goodness. This guy is just the worst. And like the only relatable Marin Trant moment in the episode comes after this scene where Marin Trant's like, I thought that old (laughs) shit would never stop singing. Oh, he's the worst. These Tyrells can rot in hell. Uh, It's like, yes, yes. And then he says like the very next thing he says, you're like, oh, no, no, no. I'm out on Marin Trant. (laughs) You were Uh, in on Marin Trant for a half second. For for like literally half a second. You're like, Marin Trant, preach it. Reach it, and then he's just. Uh, we are all Marin Trant for one moment, for one for one really really swift moment before he becomes homophobic and a uh, child molester. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we see Marin Trant that uh, Arya is stalking him. He is going into this pleasure house here. Arya is going to be bringing her oysters and clams and cockles into the pleasure house, which I think even uh, at the first guess we thought was probably some sort of a board of health violation. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think you want your oysters, clams and cockles around, uh, you know, all of those things that end up being very close in language to oysters, clams, and cockles. <laughs> uh, right. It's it's a bad idea. You don't want to mix the vinegar with, you know, who, who knows what's going to get in there. Right. Uh, very briny, very briny. Yeah. I mean, uh, I kind of think the, the person with the tray of food, sort of outside of a sports stadium, you know, you, you don't go to many places where there's like peanuts. Get your beer here. Anything? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, it's a it's a weird it's a weird situation. And I later Arya's going to get chased out of here by like the madam of the brothel. Uh, and like you totally understand among the many reasons why she probably wants her out of here. But like the number one being like, that's disgusting. Get the oysters out of here. That's so gross. You don't want oysters here. Do you understand what happens in this place? Get right. them out of here. I'm looking out for you, girl. Yeah. And also it's like. It's nighttime. Like, uh, what's the refrigeration situation on that shellfish? It's not like we have an ice machine here in Bravos. It's been out all day. <laughs> uh, she's been in like the thick of the Bravosi heat all day with oysters, <laughs> clams, and cockles for hours now. Uh. Yeah. You're going to definitely come down with some sort of <laughs> it's not potentially take much to poison the thin man. He doesn't even exactly exactly <laughs> just, uh, hold on to that poison. I think that he's going to get, uh, you know, some sort of uh, food poisoning. Yeah, the thin man is at the very least going to get thinner once he's through uh, <laughs> plowing down a few of those oysters. It's gross. <laughs> OK. Marin Trant is uh, going to uh, go through, uh, you know, I 
horrible selection process here at the uh, Pleasure House that, uh, according to Marin Trant, that uh, the women who work in the Pleasure House are all too old. Too old. Yeah. And it's it's terrible. The whole, what you know, it doesn't take too long, I think, to figure out what it is he's after as the, the madam is bringing in woman after woman and gradually they're all too old for Marin Trent. And you're like, oh, God. Yeah. So he's just like an absolute, complete, horrible, disgusting monster. Uh, and they bring in like this young girl who's no older than Arya Stark. And uh, that's like the, the Goldilocks answer. Just right. Uh, and it's disgusting and it's terrible. And the way that he's like handling her is awful. And mercifully, the show doesn't make you like watch anything right, or right. go any further. But just the insinuation. We're, we're all on the same page. Disgusting. Um, Marin, Marin Trant is gross. And we see what he's up to. And then Arya gets uh, kicked out. I'm very excited to watch Marin Trant die in this next episode. Uh, it's going to be so gross and gory. And frankly, I think uh, he got off lucky. (laughs) All right. We go back to the House of Black and White and uh, Jack and Hagar wants a full report. Okay, Thin Man, is he dead yet? Nah, he wasn't hungry. Hmm. Uh, Jack and Hagar has a good line here. He says, uh, well, maybe that's why he's thin. Get it? (laughs) Yeah. But but does Jack and Hagar... Does does he know everything? Is he omniscient or is Arya able to, you know, get one over on him sometimes? Because no, sometimes well, he's presented it, it, as that you cannot lie to him. And other right. times uh, is he just sort of like, OK, let me see where this is going. I think you would imagine in this case, because he's going to find out what Arya did to Marin Trant, um, that he's probably having her followed would be my would be my bet. Mm-hmm. OK, so, yeah. So is it all just to, to test her? Because isn't she already yeah. failing the test at this point? I mean, why not? What does does he want Marin Trant to be dead? No, I don't think so. I think he probably doesn't really care. I mean, like if Marin Trant is killed, then that's just the way it was supposed to be. Um, but on top of that, like if Arya kills Marin Trant and breaks away from her current plan, then she's also further behind than where she needs to be in her training. Yeah. And she's going to need to be blinded so that this can be a little harder for her. Okay. All right. Uh, maybe if we ever uh, are able to get inside the head of Jack and Hagar, maybe uh, is, is there any chapters in the books from his perspective, Josh? There is not. Mm, no. Okay. No. Maybe in the future books. Potentially if they ever exist, okay. which they won't. All right. Um, let's go back to Dorn uh, because we have to. And, uh, Doran is, uh, dressing down Hilarious Sand again. Yes. Uh, and who cares? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> who cares? Who cares? This is where he says, I believe in second chances. I don't believe in third and mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Okay. So we see a moment between, uh, Jamie who's writing a letter to Cersei, which, uh, Hilarious Sand uh, comes in and mocks his handwriting. And, uh, Jamie says, well, the maester is going to rewrite it. Okay. He was a righty, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. he's, he's trying to, he's trying to write with his left hand. I, I couldn't do that. Yeah. And so it seems like that they have a little bit of a heart to heart here, uh, where she's like, look, I don't care that you're in love with your sister. The heart wants what the heart wants. Big deal. 
Yeah, but she's just shining him on, getting him, uh, getting his guards down so that she can plant a wet one on Marcella on her way out the door. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is all a carefully laid plan. Okay. All right. Uh, We go back to uh, Shireen and Stannis, and uh, we see Stannis come in, and he wants to know about, uh, what are you reading? What's this book? It's a dance with dragons. It's the fourth. uh, It's the fifth book in uh, A Song of Ice and Fire. It's very good. There's supposed to be more of those books, right? <laughs> They're on the way, allegedly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's talking about how there's the... the Lord the of Light fight. has seen them. Yeah. They are there's on like shelves little... everywhere. Bestsellers. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. Melisandre would think so. <laughs> oh, God. I would love to get Melisandre's uh, Game of Thrones spoilers. I feel like it would be fun. Yeah. So, Stannis wants to know, uh, if you had to pick a side, who would you pick? Uh, Aegon or Rihanna? Yeah, <laughs> loves Rihanna, uh, Rhaenyra. Uh, yeah, I she, she can't she can't choose between AA and Riri. Uh, it's all this choosing sides. That's what makes everything so horrible. Mm. You're so wise. And, You're so wise. And it's like, but sometimes you gotta choose. Sometimes you have no choice but to choose. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to do something really, really bad. No matter how much you hate it, it's the way things are. They have to be. And she's like, Dad, don't feel so bad. Like everything's gonna be fine. And how can I help? Like, yeah, it's like, do you need to? Do you need to burn me? Mm. Do you need to burn me? Do you need to burn me alive? <laughs> now, do you feel like this? Does she know? Does she have any idea about? No. Yeah, okay. No. Right. So she's none. She's like, none. look, if, if there's anything I can do, just say, it. just say whatever, whatever it is. And say the like, word. Ah, uh, okay. There is this one thing. Yes. <laughs> And they There's hug. He says, thing. "Forgive me." And then she's like, "Why? Wait, 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 hold on. Why? What am I forgiving you for?" Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. Definitely nothing. Definitely not for what's about to happen in this very next scene, uh, which is uh, a grotesque scene. Yet another terrible scene involving children mm-hmm. in this very episode. As Shireen is marched to the pyre, she is clutching the stag that Davos had whittled for her. That will come back into play uh, a season from now when Davos finds that in the wreckage of the pyre, and that's going to be what convinces him that Melisandre burned her alive. So this is uh, Chekhov's stag, not Davos's stag. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, then just the the horribleness that, that ensues here yeah. as Shireen is burned Shireen alive. Shireen calling, uh, where is my father? You can't do this. Dad, where are you? Where's my father? Where's my father? And we see a little uh, moment between Stannis and the Lady Selyse. Uh And Lady Selyse is like, oh, this is probably a good thing, right? This is what Lord of Light wants, right? Selyse is really trying to be cool here. She's really trying to be like, this is fine. All of this is fine. Lord of Light needs this. This is going to be good. This isn't fine. This is bad. And she's the one who breaks. You know, she's the one who's like, we got to stop this. We can't do this. Stannis is the one who remains firm. So it's a subversion because Selyse is the one who's always been terrible to Shireen. And Stannis has mm-hmm. always been like, uh, like the, the soft dad. Uh, and here we go. Role reversal at the, at the time where it counts the most. Yeah. And so the Lady Selyse is the one who is going to have the uh, the full meltdown that she is, uh, you know, throwing herself on the ground. Uh, she's the one screaming. No, Josh, I had forgotten about this. Uh, I kind of hate Melisandre. I'm out on Melisandre. Yeah, it's not great. She's going to bring mean, Jon Snow back. OK, great. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't I can't fault you for that. I can't fault you for that. I think that the fact that she thought that killing a little girl in such a horrific way would With no remorse. No, she is, you know, not hesitating at all. Like she does not turn her head. She does not have any reservation about what she's doing here. Well, I think that she will come to regret what she did. You know, she in the very next episode, when everything goes so poorly, she's going to be shell shocked and everything that's happening when she sees Jon Snow is dead. She's going to be shell shocked. And it's only once he comes back to life and even then still like a little meekly that she feels like maybe she's getting her groove back. And I'm interested in that, Melisandre. I don't think that that's somebody who is uh, like extremely redeemable by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm interested in seeing what Melisandre after the fall looks like. Ultimately, uh, not a character that you have to love or even like, but I think an interesting one, uh, you got to imagine that she's going to play a big role in the, in the final stretch of the series that she'll come back at the very least and have some part to play in the final war. And I'm very curious to see what that is, especially somebody who on the other side of next episode is going to be fairly jaded with her own abilities, with her own powers and her own actions that she has committed in order to, to prop up Stannis when that was clearly just a complete misread of her purpose. But whatever sort of like a self introspection that Melisandre has is not in my mind over. Oh my God, I have uh, burned a uh, young woman at the stake. I feel like it's, my my powers are not what I thought they were. My prophecy has, right. you know, been wrong. Who am I? What what am I doing here? It's that classic John Locke moment, you know, the with the, with the hatch and everything is actually happening. He goes, "I was wrong." It's like you're not upset that like you've doomed everybody else. You're upset that you were wrong. Gotten people killed. Yeah, you know, hmm. it's 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 very similar to that. I agree, but I, I'm I, again just because of how how. Uh, how how much Game of Thrones there is in the way that we've been going through it, that like the closer we get to the stuff that we had watched relatively recently, uh, like the more I need to be reminded about it. So it's going to be the season six finale where we're going to get this confrontation between Davos and Melisandre about Shireen. I'm curious to revisit that and see, is there a level of remorse about what she did to Shireen uh, in that scene? Because my memory of it just isn't so great. Okay. All right. So we go to the fighting pit and that is where we will spend uh, the uh, rest of this episode. And this is like the Super Bowl Sunday of fighting pit days. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they do at the Super Bowl, right? That's how the Super Bowl works. They yeah, like- that's a, that's that's how everybody knows to start. All right. So yes. they are waiting. We are going to get a lot of play by play here in the booth here by uh, Daenerys, Tyrion, Dario, and of course, everybody's favorite, Hisdar Naloris. Oh, <laughs> I love, love Hisdar. Uh, well, this, this whole thing was actually kind of great uh, at the time because as, it, as it's portrayed in the book, if I recall, you're really led to believe that Hisdar is in league with the Sons of the Harpy. If not, it's outright confirmed. Again, it's been a minute. Um, and I love that he's just going to get like outright murdered here. It's like, yeah, that's not uh, the way we're doing it here on the show. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of like talking through the process. All right, Danny, you need to clap to start. Danny obviously conflicted. She does not like the fighting pits. She's doing this sort of like uh, at 
the advice of his dar and dario dario's really into it dario loves it i mean this is like throwback thursday for dario naharis he's like oh man i i love the fighting pits i was great in the fighting pits small fast guy always wins bet your money on the small fast guy mm-hmm. his dar says yeah, oh bet. no i've I seen bet. a lot of large men win yeah for the for the first and last time his dar is right about something mm-hmm yeah uh Tyrion does not like the fighting pits there's enough death in the world for his liking uh and he can do without it in in his leisure time i like that line yeah um but his star is like yeah but it's pretty cool right isn't it great i mean did you just see that big guy <laughs> cut off the small guy's head that was a very cool move mm-hmm yeah and so there's just a lot of talk, that, revisiting a lot of stuff that we've talked about here in season five about the reasons for the fighting pits and why people like it so much. What a big part of the marine culture. And his dar is trying to, to uh, point to look at these fighting pits as, you know, a symbol of the greatness of this city. Uh, and Danny says that uh, this the city is going to return to dirt. Eventually, the city will return to dirt. Yeah, I mean, all of this, again, is just uh, rehashing the thematics of not just season five, but I think Game of Thrones at large. I think Tyrion has has the great line where it's he's talking with Hisdar and Hisdar says, it's an unpleasant question, but what great thing has ever been accomplished without killing her cruelty? And Tyrion says, it's easy to confuse what is with what ought to be, especially when it's worked in your favor. Mm-hmm. And I think for all of the violence and all of the mayhem and all of the cruelty and death that we have seen in the show, I do think at its core, uh, coming from from the mind originally of George R. R. Martin, that it, it is a meditation on, like, why can't we just have peace? Why can't we just stop killing each other? Uh, so I, I enjoyed that. I, I thought that was a great line from, from Tyrion as well. But the killing's not going to stop anytime soon. Indeed, the killing has just begun as we get into the the final final act of uh, of this episode, very violent, very okay. bloody. So here comes Jorah, and again that he has made his way into the fighting pits and just to impress uh, Daenerys. And so I'm a little bit confused about what is she hoping to see here because uh, this time, okay, she claps her hands and she brings it on. Does she want to see Jorah? executed here in these fighting pits is she hoping that jorah can kill everybody and end the fighting pits does she not know i think probably she doesn't fully know i think she already is stepping into this situation and really not happy with how all of this has been playing out um she does not like the fighting pits on principle and now this person who she has very complicated emotions about uh, is involved in a death match where the odds are not in his favor. He's one of four fighters, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, at least. Um, so I, I expect that she doesn't know what she wants. She wants, uh, you know, thought about killing him, but uh, even that wasn't something that she really wanted to do. So it's all, it's all very, very complicated stuff. It is complicated because then his Dar is like, your grace. Like, uh, it's almost like he's going to stop it. But Dario is like, hey, shut your mouth. So I don't really know what anybody wants here. Whoever knows. Mm-hmm. Truly. And Jorah ends up where it looks like that he is going to get off. Uh, Tyrion uh, tells Danny that she can end this. Uh, his dar says that she can't. And Tyrion says you can. Mm-hmm. He insists. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what kind of advice that is from Tyrion. I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out if that's the, the right thing to do. Like at this point, don't you just kind of have to stay the course? 
Yeah, it seems like, you know, people would be very upset. You know, assuming this is all on the level and everybody's here to see the big fight, I, I feel like that that would be quite the unpopular move for At Danny to sort yeah. of, you know, this is like this is the Super Bowl. And then for her to, you know, run on the field in the third quarter, like, oh, no, no, I've had enough. Shut yeah. it down. That's it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that plays. Seems unpopular. Like maybe you shouldn't have done this in the first place, but at the very least, like you can't stop it now. It's too late. Right. Uh, So Jorah ends up that he is uh, victorious and he holds up his spear and it looks for a second that he is going to throw it into the box that you don't know if he's throwing it at Danny or Dario or even his dar. But no, there was a harpy who was right there. And all of a sudden we see harpies are everywhere, Josh. Too many harpies, uh, lots of harpies. And they just like uh, people in the stands are like putting on their harpy masks mm-hmm. and just like slaughtering people. And I, I've, I've in revisiting this. I've just never been more confused about like what the harpy plan is, because they're just like killing random people for no reason. People who've like shown up at the fighting pit. So you would assume that these are people who are like in on what the harpies would be all about like a return to form for marine so why are they just killing all well, these random maybe they're, people? they're killing all the freed slaves yeah maybe but they if those are freed slaves the freed slaves have really cleaned up like i feel mm-hmm. like they're wearing like master's attire uh so uh, the whole thing was very confusing a lot Either of way, people getting killed a lot it, of you know it's confusing killed. you know how do they get so many harpy masks uh, i mean I, I was wearing uh an incredibles mask for halloween oh, and, I, I, know, and I had a hard yeah. time seeing anything so i don't even know how any harpies like put the harpy mask on and and, and can see that you would think that they'd be so easy to kill mm. when they wear the harpy mask yeah now this just feels like uh this was an excuse for you to mention that you were dressed up as mr incredible because the mask is very different from the harpy mask i think to any mask to is, I, I don't uh, know how batman does uh, it well batman is uh is capable of virtually anything so, yeah but i mean know. i think that you know when you want to have like peripheral vision you shouldn't wear a mask well, Batman has probably like a material to his mask where like it really clings to his face and he's able yeah. to like see it all sides, right, like, like some the, sort of highly sophisticated technology. Right. Like the Adam West. Uh, Batman. I think he had like a cowl. I'm not sure necessarily if that was, uh, you know, constituted a mask. I don't know if it. Uh, well, that's typically what they call. That's what they typically call Batman's mask. It's the cape and cowl is uh, is how they typically refer to it. Yeah. Anyway, we can keep talking mask about Batman. Seems like uh, yeah. it would really block a lot of vision, though. Yeah, I do think so. Well, maybe that explains why they're constantly getting killed and they're just getting wrecked, especially once the dragon shows up. Okay. All right. So big melee protect the queen. Everyone, they end up pushing into the middle of the fighting pits where uh, that Danny and uh, Miss Sunday and Tyrion and Jorah, they're going to ultimately end up being surrounded. They try to get out a couple different ways. They are blocked by harpies in every direction. Yeah, and they're fighting through and, you know, they're giving it the old college try. But Masande and Daenerys, they feel like they know what the score is and that this is just a matter of time. And they've got their their hands together. And I'm kind of curious. I, I have no way to gauge this myself. I wonder if you remember at all. We are in like the penultimate episode of season five, which is typically where something insane happens. Was there any part of you that thought we were going to lose a major character in this moment on the first run through? Hard for me to remember in terms of that, because uh, Grey Worm's not even out there, is he? 
No, he's on bed rest. He's on bed rest. So, uh, you know, we will lose uh, his dar here uh, in this whole melee. But no, I I mean, I I didn't think that we were going to be losing, uh, you know, Tyrion here or anything like that. Yeah, I and I wonder what that what that uh comes down to. Um because typically just the way that this has played out on Game of Thrones before, like you would expect some sort of massive incident here. Um and not to say that Danny finally flying on Drogon and roasting some fools isn't a big deal. It's just not a BFD. You know, it's uh it's it's uh certainly low on the totem pole of the of the five penultimate episodes we've seen so far, not the lowest. I think decisively the lowest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if uh, if Benioff and Weiss thought people would really think that we were going to lose Tyrion or Jorah even in this moment. But it just it never feels quite that dangerous to me. But mm-hmm. again, hard to gauge because I I knew that none of these people would die here. Okay. Now Danny ends up. She's closing her eyes, and then all of a sudden we hear in the distance Drogon. Does Danny summon Drogon? Uh, that would be difficult because he would have had to have been uh, pretty close by for her to have summoned Drogon in that moment, I think. So this is um, just Dragon Ex Machina here? I think that Drogon senses Daenerys is in danger and then starts to make the move towards Danny. Uh, but I think that moment when Danny closes her eyes, I don't think that that is summoning Drogon. She's I think that like, that would, oh, that would be too die. fast. Right. I think that like once all hell breaks loose, I do think that they have that connection. It seems like Targaryens and their dragons do have that kind of like, you know, empathic connection. But that sounds like she does summon him then. Well, I think that the fact that she's in danger uh, is something that pings on Drogon's radar. I'm saying that moment where she closes her eyes, where she's joined hands with Masande, that's not the moment that Danny summons Drogon. Okay. And I don't think it's anything intentional. Either way, Drogon shows up, rolls in like the T-Rex at the end of Jurassic Park to rip some raptors apart. Yes. And so he goes after everybody and is burning people, biting people. He is uh, out of control. Out of control, uh, filled with spears. People are tossing spears at the poor guy. Very sad. Mm-hmm. And so... We end up getting a bunch of spears in uh, Drogon. He looks like a porcupine eventually. Aww. He gets so many javelins thrown into him, but he still has time to have a sweet moment with Danny. That's one of my favorite moments maybe ever in any TV show is when Drogon is just like screaming in Daenerys's face and then stop screaming and then just like kind of like slow motions up with like this dragon grin. It's just like, hey, mm-hmm. it's me. Yeah, Strogon. Yeah, just very, very sweet, very tender. It made me, it made me laugh. It made me cry. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. But then, like, because the other thing I was thinking was like, how is, why is everybody just allowing Daenerys and Drogon to have this happy, tender moment? And then somebody chucks a spear <laughs> into Drogon. It's like, okay, thank you. It yeah, took a little bro- while. Broke it up. But, All right. So yeah. my question for you now: Danny is going to escape on Drogon's back. I feel like they could, they could have gotten Missande on there. Right. I think they probably could have gotten. Yeah, to uh, me, this is a little bit like the, you know, uh, the Jack and Kate uh, Titanic <laughs> door. I mean, they didn't oh, even try. Yes. I mean, Tyrion, I mean, how much room does he take up? Cue the song, Rob. Better start singing. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a great call. Like Danny literally just like gets on Droke and like looks down and like all but flashes the peace sign at her friend. Yeah, yeah it could be like anybody else. There's plenty of room on here. Yeah, she just she just cheeses it. She's like, <laughs> "Good luck, bitches." <laughs> I'll never uh, forget you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. She just she rolls out of there, and as, certainly as we know, in uh, from Beyond the Wall, the penultimate of season seven, she's able to get like uh, a large squad of like gruff and burly dudes on Drogon as they're getting out of mm-hmm. there. So uh, maybe the, maybe because he was so injured, he could only had only had room for one person. And, you know, heat of the moment, uh, and it's her first time flying on Drogon, so, uh, you know, she just doesn't understand the full mechanics of it yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, what are you gonna do? All right, so, uh, Danny flies off on the dragon. Uh, did you get all the feels to see Danny on the dragon? It was fine. Yeah. It was fine? I feel like you're a little down on this. No, it was fine. I, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not really feeling one way or the other over it. The, the shot that I like the best is uh, when Danny is like standing next to Drogon, and Drogon's just like flame throwing people for the first time. Like that was just that's a really, really cool look. Uh, but I, I, I think that this episode is a fine episode of Game of Thrones. It's weighted down by all the Dorn business. Uh, everything else is is somewhere in the realm of good. Mm-hmm. I I think that this is probably honestly I think this is probably one of the weaker season five episodes. Oh, that's interesting because I feel like that at the time I thought that we were really pumped up about this. I feel like that you're sort of uh, forgetting the excitement about like uh, we saw we saw Daenerys flying on a dragon. People, this totally. is not a drill. Yeah, I think that this doesn't play quite as exhilaratingly in uh, retrospect as it did in the moment. I think that that probably was something that was really exciting in the moment. Um, and just, I don't know, in like the the quick burst of watching season five, I think that there's just been better stuff. Mm-hmm. I think after after Hard Home, too, that, that's like one of the only bad things about Hard Home is it's such a tough act to follow, uh, especially with the penultimate episode usually being such a big to do. And this is just not that big of a to do. Do you forgive it because Hard Home was so awesome? That's fine. Like, I'll, I'll accept that. Uh, but I think just like on its own, on the face of it, it's just it's, you know, it's a good episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah. I still feel like that there's uh, some nostalgia here because I I really if you went back and listened to the podcast that we did at this time, I I think that there was a a lot of excitement of, you know, finally, because this is the culmination of five seasons. I mean, this is the 49th episode of the series and these dragons were eggs at one point. And now finally, you know, they are big enough that they are able to not only, you know, fly in, save the day, but also that Daenerys, you know, fulfilled the pro- the prophecy of, you know, riding on these dragons. Like, I, I just think that it, it's a bigger moment uh, that maybe isn't holding up as well. I might just be tired. I might just be cranky. It's entirely possible that that's the case. Uh, I appreciate your positivity. How about that? I'm positive oh. that I was a lot more positive. Well, it's, it's kind about of a role reversal back in the day. No, I know it's different. It's different. It feels weird. Yeah, strange. Maybe we've still like Casey swapped somehow. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. All right. So 
One episode left to go here in the uh, Game of Thrones uh, season five. For those of you guys who are joining us here in the real time, first off, we appreciate you. We see you. Oh, yes. And so here is uh, the schedule that we're going to do. So we are recording this uh, late in the week. Uh, uh, Usually we uh, drop these episodes on you guys. Uh, They come out on uh wednesdays uh this one uh, we were recording this on a friday so we missed wednesday this week so what we're going to do rather than get to another episode here on uh, this upcoming wednesday is that we will be back on track for a, a wednesday release for the season five finale coming on november 14th 2018 so uh, be on the lookout for that and then we will be off for the week of thanksgiving and then have the season six premiere coming out on uh, the final week of november here in 2018 i can't believe we are looking down the barrel of the season six premiere already uh this this is we're we're the ones who are flying rob we're flying I mean, flying through not for anything. I mean, we started this Game of Thrones uh, rewatch over a year ago. I believe it was in September of 2017 that we uh, began this journey. Oh, my God. We're going to we're going to be doing our rewatch through from 2017 into 2019. Three separate years on the books and may have, you know, quite a bit of runway until season it's, it's very it's very possible it's very likely <laughs> we'll figure we'll figure out a way yeah. we'll figure out a way to spin our wheels okay we'll make it happen we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll figure that out. that's that's not a today problem okay so Future problems. so be Future on the lookout for that of course uh, a lot on the way here on uh, post show recaps uh, we've got a, a lot coming in terms of the walking dead big walking dead weekend uh, myself and uh, jessica lease will have the coverage of this week's big episode and then josh wiggler and jessica lease are also going to get to Together to uh, talk about some of the comic book ramifications on uh, The Walking Dead this week. Goodbye, Rick Grimes. Also, we may even dabble into the return of House of Cards, which oh. I have covered, uh, which I have covered for uh, many years. And uh, it's time to uh, put the old lady to bed. Uh, eight yes. episodes left of House of Cards. And so uh, we will have some coverage coming that way as well. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And of course, our Game of Thrones uh, will return in uh, a week and a half where we'll be back with the season five finale. Big episode of uh, Mother's Mercy. Oh, have Mother's Mercy. <laughs> So that's coming up uh, next week. So look, looking forward to talking about that with you, Josh. A- anything else? Not a thing. Okay. All right. Follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He is at Round Howard. I am at Rob Sisker. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.